Thanks for joining us this afternoon. My name is James Osinski. I serve on staff disciple makers. I serve between the Sales University and Lafayette College. And for the years before that, I spent four years at Kutztown prior. So this is a fun little conglomeration of all my worlds in one place, which I really enjoy. The smorgasbord, that's, that's the word of the week, smorgasbord. Um, also, I serve beside my wife, Shannon. So I'm... And honestly, Shannon's the better one to hang out with than the two of us, so I'm glad she's here. That makes everything better. Um, so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to start a time by sharing some quotes that I have heard and kind of accumulated over the years from students like you. And maybe you resonate with some of them. I'm going to be an accountant. How can crunching numbers in a spreadsheet have spiritual significance? Am I disobeying God by not wanting to go into ministry? Now that I'm growing in my walk with Jesus, I don't know what that has to do with my major. I can see myself equally enjoying ministry and secular work. What do I do? And finally, this is the major I've always wanted. I chose it before I became a Christian and I still want to do it. Am I just being selfish? Friends, if you ever found yourself wrestling with any of these questions or questions like these, you're not alone. Wrestling with your career, professional decisions in life, your major, it's part of being in college. This seminar came to be both because of my own wrestlings with it throughout the years and the wrestlings I've heard from many of you. These are all questions of calling. And questions of calling are not just good questions, but I also think they're vastly important questions. So maybe you're here with questions. You saw ministry and major in the same sentence, and you're wondering, how in the world is that possible? <clears throat> maybe you're here, and you, for the first time in your life, are thinking deeply about Jesus, about the gospel, about the scriptures, and you're starting to realize that following Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord, is changing everything. And if everything is everything, that includes your major, and you're like, what in the world do I do with this thing now? How does it fit in? I find what happens, just from my own observations, whenever questions of calling come into play, it's almost as if we take one of those old-fashioned scales. You know what I'm talking about? Like those justice scales? And on one side, people put what I will call secular work. And I'm going to define that as work that seemingly doesn't involve Jesus. That's where you get your accountant, teacher, doctor, lawyer, whatever, like what we say is like the normal jobs, whatever you can think of, that's on the secular work side. And then people in this old fashioned scale on the other side put what we call vocational ministry, which we'll define as work that seemingly directly involves Jesus. And those are things like your missionary, pastor, worship leader, working for a Christian organization, whatever it is. So when you put those two things on a proverbial scale and you weigh it, of course the ministry side is going to weigh heavier because that directly involves God. So thus forth, everything else is lighter and does it actually matter? 
However, what I want to do with this afternoon session is to eventually throw the scale out. <laughs> because what the scale does is it perpetuates a lie that I find many Christians find is true. And the lie that it perpetuates is that you can separate your major from your faith. That's not possible. We think that we could put work, career, major on one side, God on the other side, put a big dividing line between the two and say they're mutually exclusive ideas. Therefore, one is for God, one is for me. And then I make them both work in life. They are not mutually exclusive ideas. So what I hope to do with our time this afternoon is show you that you, cannot, you can't separate them, but in fact, pursuing Jesus as Lord actually accentuates your major. You're going to see that being a Christian means that there's more deep thought you put into your major, more conviction behind it. See, just as we'll learn tonight in 2 Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, when Paul tells him to fulfill his ministry, I hope to use this time to show you that you can all use your major to do so as well. In fact, the main point of our time to this afternoon is simply this. All work is spiritual. So consider how you can use your major to the glory of God. All work is spiritual. So consider how you can use your major to the glory of God. We're going to unpack that through the three parts in your packet. If you're not already there, pages 50 and 51, and you'll see our, our three points. We're going to talk about the story of work. Let's just talk about how the, God, how the Bible talks about work, the lens to view work, and then working with gospel glasses. Those will be more implications at the end. So I'm going to pray for this time and then get into it. Father God, be with, with us this afternoon. God, I pray that the content here um, will be helpful. God, I pray that you use it for your glory and that you use it for everyone in this room to, to deeply consider what does it look like for them to glorify you in the unique ways that you have gifted all of us with interests, skill sets, whatever it is. Use this time, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. So, Tony, I think there's a door to the outside. Can you prop it open for us? It's a little hot in here. Thank you. Um, so let's first talk about the story of work. And to talk about the story of work, you're going to see the three subpoints. We're going to talk about how work is good, work is broken, and then work is redeemed. This will kind of set us all up on the same foundation as we think about work and major. So let's start by talking about how work is good. You'll see it, passages on page 50, right from the beginning, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then skip down to Genesis 2, 1 through 3, where it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. <coughs> So we learn about God from these two points is that God is introduced as a working God. God works. In fact, he creates. 
And if you read the rest of Genesis 1 for yourself, you will see a repetition that the work that God does is good. The land was good. The seas were good. The fishes were good. The sun was good. In fact, it was so good. What we see from Genesis 2 is that he saw his work to completion. What he had done was repeated multiple times over and over again. God is a working God. Not only is God introduced as a working God, but humanity was put into the world to work. Look at the rest of the Genesis 2 passage, verses 15 and 16. It says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree in the garden. I'm going to stop there. See, before sin, mankind was brought into the world to work. They were given the garden because God provided everything they needed to do their job. This means for us that work is a good thing. Work is good. For all of you in this room, your occupation right now is student. And if you have graduated, your occupation is either what your lined up job is, or you're searching for a new occupation. Because work is good, that means your occupation is a good thing. So it honors God for you to get up, grab a cup of coffee, and yes, be on time for the 8 a.m. class. That honors the Lord. (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) This means the old phrase, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, isn't true. Because when work feels like you're working, that is actually a good thing from the Lord because the work of our hands in and of itself is good. Finally, this means that success then is not measured by how much money you make, how early you retire, how much passive income you generate through stocks, NFT investments, or streaming, but it simply means success in the Lord's eyes is faithfully working. All because the work itself is good. I wish we could stop there, but there's more because we learn that work is then broken. Work is broken. See, as we move from Genesis 2 to 3, we'll see that mankind disobeys God, and in God's justice, he curses his perfect world because sin has now been introduced. I want to look particularly at the curse that he says to Adam. This is Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. 
and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Did you catch what God cursed? He did not curse Adam himself. He curses the ground. As a result, thorns and thistles are brought in. Pain and sweat are introduced. See, the problem is not hard work. The problem is broken work. Because of sin, work done correctly breaks anyway. It's a product of sin. So what does that look like? The product of the curse is not having to write a 10-page paper. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) The product of the curse is when the computer crashes six pages in. That's the curse. The curse is not responsible for having two finals on the same day. However, what I think it is responsible for is after you studied properly, you end up getting into your exam, you pick up your paper, and test anxiety sets in, and you don't remember a single thing that you spent hours upon hours studying. You did everything right, but it broke anyway. It's the curse that leads to the traffic when you're trying to get to work on time. It's the curse that when you prepare a presentation, you forget everything that you say. It's the curse that when you're working with a tool and you try to hammer a nail, the nail goes that way instead of that way. That's the curse. It's when you do everything right, but it still goes wrong. Work itself is good. Sin breaks it. Thankfully, work is also redeemed. We're going to see this through Christ, God, and then how we respond. See, through Christ, despite the brokenness of work, the brokenness of the world, he came to redeem the curse. Look at uh, John 17, 3 and 4. This is Jesus praying to God. And he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. See, just as God in creation saw his work to completion because it was good, so too did Christ, despite the brokenness of the world, he saw his work done to completion as well. Just as thorns and thistles were introduced into the world, so too did Christ bear the curse, bearing the crown of thorns upon his head, so that those who put their trust in him, their sin dies along with them. The curse is destroyed. And finally, just as one act of sin from one man, Adam, led to cursing and sin for all, so too does one act of righteousness through Christ lead to blessing in relationship with God for all. He redeems it. 
Because Christ redeems it, God is now in the process of beautifying his world, restoring it to the, its once former glory. As he says in Revelation 5.1, behold, I am making all things new. God is in the process of beautifying. And how does he do it? He uses people like us. He's using people like us to share Christ with others. And he's using people like us through the very works of our hands. The Apostle Paul tells us himself, Colossians 3.23, says, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. See, we now, once again, work hard knowing that the Lord is at work. He will call us home one day and we will be in his presence to worship him. And friends, most likely, probably work but work without sin, without brokenness, for the glory of God. This is the story of work. See, the story of work is deeply intertwined with the story of the gospel and the story of humanity. So if the gospel ties deeply with work, and we have the, the call that Paul gives us, that means the gospel needs to be the lens in which we view work. And that's your second point, a lens to view work. Look back at Colossians 3.23. We're going to camp out here for a bit. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Do you catch how much of what you do is for the Lord. It's all of it, whatever you do. That includes work. So therefore, all work is done for the Lord. No matter what your major is, the task that you're doing, the job you will have one day, whether it's being a missionary or an accountant, friends, it must be done for the Lord. The natural question from there is how can work be done for the Lord? See, if we go back to our proverbial scale, most, if not all of us, can trace the line on how the vocational ministry work, how that is work done for the Lord. You don't need me to tell you how a pastor is working for God. Hopefully he is, you know, <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> and I think because the line is so clear, that's why we end up weighing that heavier because it's so clear that that's for God. But what about when the line isn't as clear? If all work is done for the Lord, what if you're a nursing major, an art major or an engineer? Then what? How do we do that? To do so, to look at these things for the glory of God, author and pastor Timothy Keller gives us a really great model to use. And this model is going to be the fill-in on your handout. The model is that the gospel needs to not only be a portrait of work, but a lens in which we view work. 
The gospel is not a, a portrait of work, but a lens in which we view work. I'll explain what each of them means. It feels pretty abstract. But bear with me. So first, what's a portrait? A portrait is static. What you see is what you get. We have plenty of, of pictures around here, the various sights and scenes of Dublin Gap. Many portraits. See, what a gospel portrait is, is only seeing gospel benefits in direct Christian work. For example, of all of these portraits along the room, you'd probably say that one is a gospel portrait and that passage is a gospel portrait because it has direct Christian things in it. So some of the typical gospel portraits we use for work include work that's doing overtly Christian things like those vocational ministry things, the pastor, the missionaries, uh, working for a Christian company like Sight and Sound. They're awesome. Uh, working at a, a Christian radio station, creating artwork that's sold at Hobby Lobby because they're all passages for some reason. Um, <laughs> managing a Christian bookstore, whatever it is. And friends, these are all really great things. In fact, they're so great that we need more people to do all of them. They are good ways in which you can glorify the Lord with the works of your hands. I am not trying to diminish any of those things. They are all amazing. What I am trying to do, however, is the trap as seeing when those things are the only way of doing Christian work. That's the trap. And this is when our gospel lenses kick in. They help us see through that trap. So what's a lens? Lenses color everything we see. That's why people like me with bad eyesight have glasses on. Back when I was younger, I, I like to tell this story where I used to go skiing, and then I got really bad skiing. That's another thing. But I used to ski, and my mom very graciously got me ski goggles. But the problem was they were yellow ski goggles. I hated them because everything looked yellow. I was told to avoid yellow snow and now all the snow was yellow and it was weird. I didn't like it because everything was yellow. Because I had yellow lenses, everything I saw, no matter what, was yellow. That's what lenses do. So we applied to work. Gospel lenses then see gospel benefits in every type of work. Every type, everything you see, you see it from gospel lenses. See, this week, we have been talking a lot about the, how the gospel needs to be proclaimed with what we say, sharing Christ with others, which is right and true. And please continue to do that. Everything that I'm saying is not contradicting that. In fact, it's complementing it. To complement that, this means that we need to see the gospel does not just saturate what we say as believers. It also saturates what we do. It's both. Check out the quote on your handouts. This is a great example of what it looks like when you're working with gospel lenses, how it saturates what you do. This is from the book, Every Good Endeavor. I highly recommend checking that book out if you have questions about work, vocation, God. It's amazing. So here's the quote. 
Christian artists, when they do this faithfully, this being looking with gospel lenses, will not be completely beholden either to profit or to naked self-expression. And they will tell the widest variety of stories. Christians in business will see profit as only one of several bottom lines, and they will work passionately for any kind of enterprise that serves the common good. The Christian writer can constantly be showing the destructiveness of making something besides God into the central thing, even without mentioning God directly. Here's the point. When the gospel colors how you view what you do, you will see that the implications of your ordinary major and one day your ordinary job are simply extraordinary. As a result of this, you will elevate how you view your major itself. You won't diminish it. You will elevate it. You will see that there is purpose behind any job. You will work with joy and conviction, knowing that we can use ordinary work to glorify God. So how do we do this? How do we do this practically? I want to give you a framework, just one practical way of thinking through how ordinary jobs and ordinary majors can be used to the glory of God. You'll see in your packet, there are four words, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Those four words are kind of the basic framework for the story of the Bible. Uh, the, the fancy term for them, it's the story of redemptive history. Maybe if some of you are here and you shared your testimony at a large group fellowship meeting, you probably use those four words to model your story. Because it's like almost as if through Christ, we all walk through our own redemption arcs. What I want to do now is introduce it as a framework to view your major and to view your careers. I'm convinced that all work images at least one of these four categories. And I'm going to demonstrate what that looks like. I'm going to start with creation. See, in creation, just as God formed and organized the blank, null, void world into something beautiful, so too does the artist emulate that with canvas, pottery, or even pixels for graphics to create a beautiful logo that a company can use. The teacher takes the impressionable minds of young people and equips them with the skills in order to develop so that they can then be equipped for the work that they are called to do. The construction worker takes steel beams and wood and materials, hammers and nails, and combines them into this safe, beautiful, livable home. Those jobs are emulating creation. What about the fall? Sin entered into the world by Adam and Eve breaking God's commands, corrupting it, and God brought in immediate justice and promised justice that was to come. It's the fall. See, when done correctly and honorably, 
the police officer is there to bring justice against an individual who breaks not God's law, but the law of our nation. And they're there to dissuade others from doing the same. The lawyer advocates for people because they recognize because sin is in the world, the world is broken. Therefore, people are broken. Companies are broken. Systems are broken. So they need to step in and advocate for someone who doesn't know how to navigate these things so that they can be fairly treated and that they can get justice too. Lawyers exist because of the fall. The human resources representative, they are there as the liaison between the company and the employees And they're there to make sure the employees treat one another respectfully and properly, as well as making sure the company treats the employees properly to give them their pay, their benefits, the things that they need so that they can flourish. And when all of them is flourishing together, the company itself as well. Those things exist because we recognize the world is broken because of the fall. They emulate them. What about redemption? Jesus dies on the cross, taking the punishment of sin upon himself and raised from the dead to give those who put their trust in him new life. That that is spiritual redemption. That is the message that's preached from the pulpit by the pastor. Pastors live in in this world of redemption. See, just as Christ does that redemptive work for us spiritually, so too does the doctor And those who are in medical fields, they, through surgery, medicine, through physical therapy, take physically broken people and restore them to physically unbroken people. They emulate the redemption in a physical way. And what is it that the the counselor or the psychiatrist does, but they do so in an, an emotional way, in a mental way, taking people who have been broken emotionally from, from trauma, from difficult things in life, and they give them the tools so that they can also be mentally and emotionally redeemed and once again function through society. These jobs from the work of their hands, they're emulating redemption. And finally, restoration. God is now beautifying the world, making all things new, preparing for the day of his return. The engineer seeks to redesign the crumbling bridge so that it too can function for the long time, that it could be a mark of beauty for a town, not a a bane of ugliness. And it's there so that it can function, withstand wind and storms and accidents for the betterment of the town. The entrepreneur designs new items and things that people use so that they can live a more restored life, that they can be more efficient with life, that they can take former burdens and they can be, become new and become joys. And we live differently because people have inventive and salesman skills to make that happen. Even the garbage man, because they pick up trash from our streets and our trash cans, because of them, we don't live in disease-ridden cities that once plagued our entire world 200 years ago. If it wasn't for sanitation, we would all be very sick right now. (laughs) They are doing an act of restoration through every single trash bag they pick up and throw in the truck. Friends, this is just thinking of this model in terms of individuals. You can blow this up to thinking about corporations and companies, how they as a group can emulate these things as well. 
what I hope I'm showing you through this is that when the gospel colors how you view what you do, you will see that the implications of your ordinary major and one day your ordinary job are simply extraordinary. Check out the quote on the top of your packet, page 51. It says, we must think out the Christian worldview's implications in every field. And often those implications are subtle. Friends, consider the gospel implications of your major. Think deeply about not just how the gospel impacts how you, what you say, but also what you do. Think about your, your major, your career, even your summer job. How does the work from your unique field image God's work through redemptive history? When you work in this way, you will start to see how even the ordinary works of your hands can be done to the glory of God. And you'll begin working with gospel glasses. That's your final point. For our last point, just to conclude this, I'm going to share three different implications of viewing your work in this way. So the first implication is this, that all work is ministry. Bless you. Bless you. All work is ministry. See, allergies, that's the fall, by the way. <laughs> if we can't separate spiritual work and non-spiritual work, that means all work for the Christian is spiritual work. All of it is that. As a result, two things are going to be true. First, the phrase secular work is actually a myth. It doesn't exist. Because the concept of secular work is to say, this is work that does not involve Jesus. But if all work is ministry, all of it does. In addition to what we say, what we do as well. So whatever your major is, nursing, engineering, business, for the believer, it is done to the glory of God. Second thing that's true when all work is ministry is that you will see that one career is not inferior to another. One career is not inferior to another. When work is done for the glory of God, the CEO is just as valuable as the postman. <coughs> the person in vocational ministry is just as valuable as the one who's not. So whether it's your major, your summer job, or your career, you can see it in that season as a high calling from the Lord that he has placed you in to be done for his glory. 
This is personally something I've had to wrestle through a lot myself. Um, as many of you know, this is my last summer on staff. Um, after this, I am going into teaching, uh, which was my original major in college. And I had to wrestle with a lot of these things that, am I doing something lesser? We are talking all this week about how we have been entrusted with the gospel. My job right now is I am literally sharing the gospel. That if a student went home from focus and said, my staff worker opened up the Bible with me, told me about Jesus and asked me to consider trusting him as our Lord and Savior, they would say, yeah, you went to a Christian conference. I hope that happened. <laughs> but as a school teacher, if I did the same thing and a student went home and told their parents that, I don't know what happened to me. Am I doing something that's lesser? No, I am still equally called to entrust the gospel to others. It's just how I do it will just simply be different. It's not that one is better than the other. It's just different ways of glorifying the Lord. And what ends up happening when we see that every single job is on an equal playing field, that frees all of us up to choose a job in faith and the same playing field. All of them are equal. We don't have to weigh, like, is the ministry thing better than the other thing? No, it's just different because it's different. Like the, we had that decision-making model. Is it biblical? Is it wise? Do you want to do it? Friends, unless you're trying to be a drug dealer, it's all going to be biblical. <laughs> you cannot be a drug dealer to the glory of God. It's not possible. But if, it, if, it's, a good, if it's a good career, you have a lot of freedom. <laughs> That's funny. Like you just have so much freedom. And you can decide between multiple good options, see every option as an option, not the option, and you can make a decision in faith to the glory of God and serve him graciously and serve him willfully and know that you're never locked into a career and that you can try something. I love what Mark said last night. He's like, what would you do? Like, what if you didn't do it, you regret it 10 years from now? You can try something for a bit and say, I want to do something else. You have freedom. When all work is ministry, all of it's on the same playing field. You have so much freedom in what you do. That's the first implication. The second one is that unique majors lead to unique opportunities. Remember, called to work heartily in whatever you do. As a result, there are so many different ways that we do that. For the body of Christ, we all are different members, extremities. Every single body part serves a different function, but it all serves the head, which is Christ. Friends, that's the same with our vocation as well. Every job leads to different opportunities, leads to different seasons. And each and every one, we spend time thinking deeply about it and how that could be used for the glory of God as well. So what this does, I think it redefines a question that people often ask. Bless you. The question is often asked is, man, is this major, is this for me or is it for God? I think instead of asking that question, I think you're setting yourself up for failure. Why don't you ask the question, how can I uniquely glorify the Lord given my major, given the uniqueness of it? How the art major and how the nursing major gives glory to, the God, to God are different, 
but it's all for him at the same time. So for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into all four of these, but I just want to give you four really quick categories of just to think through with your unique major um, and how to process like, okay, how can I, what are the unique opportunities I have? Four things. Think through time, location, resources, and skill set. Time, location, resources, and skill set. Every job has a unique way of looking at those. I'm going to do something. This is very general, but imagine you're a doctor. A doctor, time, you might not have a lot of time. You're going to be in med school for about 10 years, and you're going to have some pretty odd hours with your hospital. So time might be a little bit tough, so you have to be a little bit more careful about how you use it. Um, but however, location, well, when you're a doctor, if, you're, if a hospital has your particular skill set, there's a lot of different places you can go. In fact, if you have a heart to reach a city for the gospel, you could probably live there because you can basically live wherever you want. So you can be in many locations and you uniquely are in the hospitals ministering to other nurses and patients. Resources. Now, a doctor, after the myriad of loans are paid off, they make a decent amount of money. Think about how that could be used for the Lord. Man, a unique opportunity for a doctor is that they can lavishly bless their church they can bless other missionaries, and they can bless the people around them with lavish hospitality because of the, just the unique resources that they have. That's unique for them. And what about their skill set? Like doctors are able to do surgery and do things that most of us cannot do. So there's someone that if they need a short-term doctor to go to a, another country for them, they can do that. I can't do that, but they can do that. A doctor can uniquely bless the people in his community by helping someone navigate through the complexities of the medical system that often fails people. They will have the insight to do that. So every, every job, uniquely, time, location, resources, skill set. There's a lot of different ways based on your own major, your own career to say, how can I uniquely use this for God? So I really appreciate about the career reception that we do here because they're like, hey, like we have an HQ. We need someone who is who in human resources. If someone has a human resources skill set, that that's an option. That's really helpful that there are things available like that based on different skill sets. So unique majors, unique opportunities. And finally, to conclude, please hear this. You have freedom. You have freedom. We conclude with, with 1 Corinthians 10.31. Last passage on your handout. What, so whatever you do, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Friends, I, I hope you hear this afternoon how much freedom you have. Use your unique skills and talents the Lord has given you to serve him. Friends, as we've been saying throughout this week, use your words, proclaim Christ with others, make disciples wherever you go, continue to do that. But then use, in addition to that, use the work of your hands. Use your major and your career 
as a tool for God's glory, an avenue for you to uniquely do things for him. So you always wonder, like, what is God's will for my life? I hope what this has done is it just frees you to say, there is a lot of things that you can do. But I think oftentimes what God wants for us is to faithfully serve him for his glory and the avenues in which we do that on the day-to-day are varied. It's in addition to everything we've been talking about at this conference. So if you're wondering what, what major should you have, what career should you go into? Should you go in to, into ministry? Should you not? Friends, seek counsel. Pray to God, meditate on the scriptures. And decide in faith and conviction, knowing that they are all a lot of really good options, but there is not one the option. It's just a lot of a option and options. If you make a decision in faith, friends, you cannot go wrong. You can't go wrong because all work is ministry. So continue to consider how you can use it for the glory of God. Let me pray to close this. Father God, God, thank you that you have just given us so much freedom. Thank you because of what Christ has done on the cross that he has, um, for those who are believers, you're paid for our sin. And that, God, if someone's in here who's not a believer, God, help them see the freedom that they have in worshiping you. God, help us then respond by considering how we can use our unique majors, our unique skill sets, all the things that you have given us. Our, our bodies are gifts from you. Our skills, our interests are all gifts from you. God, help us use them for you. Help us give you glory in everything that we do. Help us consider the implications of our ordinary majors. And as a result, Lord, I pray that you get much glory from each one of our lives here. In your son's name, amen.